0: Uh, if you will, turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Romans chapter 6. We're going to be looking at the remainder of this chapter, um, looking at verses uh, 12 through 23. And I've entitled this message Eternal Life. Um, and, and what we're going to be looking at is uh, what does it mean to be a slave to righteousness? Um, that slavery actually um, is, is an unavoidable reality that all of us, even though we want to believe that we're free, uh, our, our freedom is always within limitations. And what has mastery over us uh, defines who we are and what we are. And we live in a culture that teaches that you are are your own master, you are the one who defines uh, your existence, you are the one who has the power to either have, you know, a successful life or an unsuccessful life and all you have to, if you if you don't believe that's the cultural uh, way of things in America, I mean, just look on Instagram and the amount of, uh, amounts of life coaches uh, and, you know, the the bestseller books uh, in nonfiction section is at Powell's. Like, you're a bad A and you just don't know it. As I like to say, if I was to write that book, I would say you are bad and an A, and you should know it um, because that's what the gospel says. Uh, but I, I threw that. I pitched that title to the publisher. I signed with. They said no. Uh, but I think that this is this is the reality. Is that is that. The problem with the self-help movement and this call to be your own God and discover your inner awesomeness is built upon a false premise, which is that this is the path to freedom when in actuality it is the path to the worst kind of tyrant you'll ever face, which is yourself. And the gospel tells us that the path to real freedom is actually being a slave to the right master. And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And he says, whoever the son of man sets free shall be free indeed. And so we move from slaves to sin, which leads to death, to become slaves to Christ, uh, which is to discover that he alone is the good master and that he alone has the right to be the ruler over all that is because he is the creator of all that is. And so his lordship is actually the key to our freedom. The freedom that we all so desperately want is not going to be found in us taking our lives into our own hands and defining for ourselves what is right and wrong. All we tend to prove is that we make horrible masters. The happiness that we so ardently seek has not been, we haven't seemed to find it um, in, our, in our pursuits um, that are driven by self-centeredness and individualism. This is not what the gospel is about. And so look with me at this verse in Romans chapter 6 verse 23 because this really is about eternal life. Uh, and our freedom is the freedom to enter into eternal life uh, that comes through our faith in Christ and look what it says for the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord first of all notice if you will that what Paul writes is that sin is something that one works for (laughs) that that Sin is a master, and that we serve that master, and that the outcome, what we are paid, um, is uh, paid in is death. You remember in C.S. Lewis's book Paralandria, there's a—if you've ever read that, it's his great sci-fi trilogy. I actually like it better than *Chronicles of Narnia*. Um, and in Paralandria, there's a there's a, a devil character. Actually, the devil is um, possessed this man named Weston, and he becomes the unman. Uh, and there's a scene where he speaks to this kind of Eve-like person on on the planet Venus and says to her, I have come to give you death and to give it to you abundantly. Twisting the very words of Jesus. The wages of sin, when you work for your salvation, when you try to be your own salvation, when you say I'm going to climb the ladder towards success, the outcome of that, the only payment that one can receive for that is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And notice the difference. One is wages that one is paid, death. The other is a gift that leads to eternal life. Now, I think it's important to define what eternal life is because when we think of eternal life, we think of it in terms of duration of time, that it's life that lasts forever. But that's not what eternal life is. Eternal life is defined by Jesus Himself in John chapter seventeen verse three, and He and He says, "This is eternal life, that they may know You, the Living God, and Jesus Christ, whom You have sent." In other words, eternal life is not a duration of time; uh, it's not something that we obtain. It is it is the ability to enter into intimacy with the very One who spoke and the universe leapt into existence. And so for us, the goal of the Christian life is not the ability to have our dreams fulfilled, The goal of the Christian life is to have the restoration of right relationship between us and God. And God does that by putting his spirit within us so that we are told that if anyone be in Christ, the old has passed and the new has come. And this new is this new reality, uh, this new plane of existence by which we are able to actually grow in increasing degrees of intimacy with the very one who spoke and the universe left into existence. The power of this this message is that it flows out of not our effort, but out of our reception of this life, which is wrapped up in the life giver himself, Jesus, who says, I am the resurrection and the life. So what we're going to be looking at is what is the path? If the goal is eternal life, that is knowing Jesus. Because what did Jesus say in Matthew 7? Uh, He said that there will be many who come to me in the last day and they will say Lord Lord which is a title that they recognize that he is the Lord of all uh, and they say did we not do this and that in your name do many signs cast out demons in your name do all these things in your name and Jesus doesn't deny that they worked really hard for him or at least worked really hard in his name but what does he say to them away from me I never what their condemnation was that they did not know the one that they were supposedly serving. They were trying to earn something that was theirs as a gift. And it can only be received as a gift. It cannot be worked for. Christianity is not a ladder of of climbing and effort. It is a willingness to recognize that we are worn out and incapable of saving ourselves. It is the response to the call of the one who said, come to me all you who are weary and I will give you rest. He is our Sabbath rest and it is his presence and knowing him that is the gift that actually defines what it means to be a Christian in a broken and sinful world. And here is why I have entitled this message Eternal Life when the whole conversation is around are we going to continue to choose um, to give ourselves over to the mastery of sin or are we going to reckon ourselves dead to sin and, and alive in Christ so that we can become slaves to righteousness because to be a slave to righteousness simply means one who is continually engaging in this eternal life that is knowing christ being with christ living in christ our defeat of sin is not pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and saying i'm not going to do x y and z any longer because the flesh is weak but the spirit is willing our conquering of sin patterns in our life actually comes through our daily return to the heart of the gospel which is knowing the God who knows us better than we know ourselves and so I think it's important for us to understand this because I just finished this book um, by Tara Isabella Burton um, called Strange Rites and it's an exploration of what she calls religions uh, the new religions of the godless age and she says she refers to uh, this culture in our in in America uh, that that young people are really embracing, especially, but I would say that it 's broader than that that there is a rejection of dogma and creed and the traditional um, faiths that that there is a, a movement away from things like Christianity and, they, and she calls it this new religious remixed or bespoke religious. Uh, that is this group of people that reject authority, institution, creed and moral universalism. She says that this movement values intuition personal feeling and experiences. They demand to rewrite their own scripts about how the universe and human beings operate, shaped by the twin forces of creative, communicative internet and consumer capitalism. Today's Remix don't want to receive doctrine to assent automatically to a creed, they want to choose and more often than not purchase, notice that, purchase the spiritual path that feels more authentic, more meaningful for them. They prioritize intuitional spirituality over institutional religion and they want, when available, institutional options fail to suit their needs, the freedom to mix and match to create their own daily rituals and practices and belief systems. That is a terrifying paragraph that defines our culture so well. In fact, this new culture doesn't want to, they don't want the free gift. They want to purchase. They want to purchase their spirituality, which speaks to the problem of giving ourselves over to the slavery that comes through serving sin. Because sin, as I have defined it again and again, is simply our rebellion against God's rule, which sin, as Paul is defining it, is our attempts to be our own God. And so I want us to look through this passage, which is really, it's going to be, um, Paul is building out an argument that ends with this verse 23, Um, but I want 23 to be the lens by which we look at all of this. So look with me first, eternal life, if that's the goal, we need to understand that it is first and foremost found in Jesus himself. When Paul says in verses 12 through 13, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, to make you obey its passions do not present your members that is literally your body don't give your head and your heart and your hands and your feet and your mouth and your eyes um, to sin well sin is as Jacques Ellul states one of my favorite um, authors he says sin is growing increasingly collective He actually argues that it's harder to be a Christian today than it was even 2,000 years ago when Christians were being martyred. Um, for their faith because today because of globalization because of things and he didn't even he wrote this in the 40s before the internet even existed, but he argued because of globalization and the interconnectedness of society um, through technology that sin now is so pervasive that none of us can escape it. It's like there's there's no arena by which the brokenness of the human imagination um, it can be avoided it is entered into our home it is entered into our hands through our smart devices it is the, the the multitude of voices that are continually speaking lies into our existence and promising us happiness that it cannot actually give when you realize that thousands and thousands and thousands if not hundreds of thousands of kids uh, today number one goal coming out of high school is to be internet influencer or uh, social media influencers this tells us that there is a fundamental break. that fame is now the number one pursuit but it's fame not for any purpose other than how many likes or or friends you have or followers you have on your account, if this is the new definition of what will bring ultimate meaning, it shows the unbelievable shallowness and the insipid quality of making self the center of the universe. Solipsism, I I love, defined by David Foster Wallace. He defined it this way. It's not really a very good definition of it, but I liked it. He He said, solipsism is the fear of dying having only loved oneself. And I think that that is a perfect picture of this kind of internal focus. So when when Paul says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions, he's saying, you can't be the number one thing in your existence and be okay, is essentially what he's saying. You can't be the focal point of all that you think about, that your purposes, your plans, your dreams, your hopes, your ambitions, are not what life is about. In fact, I would argue that the gospel is about a death to those things so that Jesus can rebirth in us the appropriate dreams that he intended for us as human beings made in his image. Remember, the image of God was not destroyed by sin, but every aspect of our humanity was infiltrated by it. When we talk about total depravity, we're not say I'm not saying anyway, some people are saying that everything you do is bad. It's just everything you do is mixture, which is why we need the gospel of grace. And so eternal life, the answer, the hope of existence is it is a relational knowledge that is found not in our attempts to be our own gods. There is no eternal life for the one who makes themselves their own god. There is only, only death that flows out of that and heartbreak. He says, do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. That word instrument can be actually translated as weapon. And the picture here is that there is a battle waging uh, that has been waged. And that, that, that battle is a real battle, even though our enemy, the sin, the dominion, the unseen realities of demonic activity the spiritual the spiritual powers and principalities of this age as well as the world system itself have all been defeated on the cross but that doesn't mean that the enemy isn't still wreaking havoc and it doesn't mean that we don't live in a fallen world in fallen bodies with fallen minds and so Paul uses really powerfully this picture is that if we want to experience eternal life, we need to recognize that just because we've been born again does not mean that we're no longer in the midst of a battle. In fact, the battle is even more acute because we live literally within two realms of existence. There is this one side that says, if anyone be in Christ, they are a new creation in that new creation reality and the kingdom of God which comes in part but is coming in full. Um, is, is one reality that we live in but we also still remain in a fallen world in fallen bodies with fallen minds and this is why there is a battle as we're going to see in seven a, a civil war going on within us between the flesh and the spirit of God and the question each and every day as we live out our Christian lives is which one will have dominion over us if it's found in Jesus this eternal life then we need to understand that the weapons, uh, that our lives as weapons um, are, are meant to not be weapons uh, for unrighteousness. Uh, we see human beings utilize their intelligence, their charisma, their hands, their feet to bring all sorts of destruction and wreak all sorts of havoc on, on the world as we know it. Are we adding to that? Because to say that we're born again, but to continue to live under the complete domination of, of the very things that once separated us from God is to misunderstand or not know how to appropriate the reality of this new identity in Jesus. And I think that this is where so many Christians live in that sort of defeated place where they have enough faith To um, get themselves out of hell into heaven but not enough faith to experience the reality of Christ's victorious presence in their life moment by moment each day because the moment we become born again is the moment we become free and that freedom is always a precarious thing that can quickly be utilized to serve the flesh that's why Paul warns against that do not utilize your freedom to feed the flesh the freedom that you have found in Christ because it doesn't bring any happiness it can only bring us pain look what it what it says here but present yourselves to God so what is the answer how do we how do we experience this eternal life it's found through drawing near to God it's not found in us trying harder to stop doing the dumb things that we're doing if you want to overcome a pattern of sin I'll just give you an example for me I'm one of those people that at night I'm not fruitful after nine o'clock at night. I mean, I'm not productive. I'm not doing anything of value. If I stay up late, that uh, that's usually means that I just probably spent two hours like looking at the internet, reading endless drivel of the news, maybe flipping through Instagram. I might have even gone on some crazy rabbit trail to discover some new genre of music in my attempts to have an encyclopedic knowledge base which serves me nor anybody any good. It only makes me more crazy. These are the things that happen when I stay up late because I, I don't read well at night. I don't, I don't think clearly. I think best in the morning. But what happens when I stay up late at night? Unproductive evening leads to... Sleeping through the air time when I'm the most productive, which is why we're doing the 21 days of prayer. It's, it's those resets where I'm saying, okay, I've been making, I have the power as a Christian to say no to the flesh and yes to the spirit. Doesn't mean that I'm still not a walking bag of mixture, but it means that it's the question is, is who is master over this person of mixture, which is Josh White? The question is, is it Jesus or is it the flesh? Am I following the spirit of this age or am I following the spirit of God? And I think that the power to overcome areas that continue to keep us in bondage is derived not from our attempts to not think about those things anymore or not do those things. It comes from replacing what was once this practice with this reality. I am practicing the presence of Christ. I am presenting myself as a living sacrifice. That is the essence of what it means to be a Christian. The only thing we actually have the freedom to do is to surrender. And I think that that surrender um, is where we're going to find this eternal life. James himself said, the way that you resist the devil is not by fighting the devil. (laughs) You resist the devil by drawing near to God. The victory is his, the battle is his. And this is why Paul is being using this language of war. We don't present ourselves as instruments for unrighteousness, Um, no we present ourselves to God. Sin is nothingness, it's not a person. Why would we present ourselves to sin which is a rebellion against the one who is life? We don't give ourselves to nothingness, we give ourselves to God who is the source of everything that is good. And, and in drawing near to him, that is how we have the victory. The victory is not by, nobody stops smoking by think, saying, I'm not gonna smoke, I'm not gonna smoke, I'm not gonna smoke. It's replacing that activity with something new. And I think that this is, this is why um, we, we have to be confessional in our approach. life. I think that the way that we can begin to overcome Um, The brokenness in our lives. We're always going to be broken, but it's by continually acknowledging it because sin unconfessed hides God from our experience. Sin confessed becomes the very place where Jesus continually meets us. And this is why humility in the church and a transparency and a vulnerability about our brokenness is what is compelling to a lost world when they see that we really believe that Jesus has forgiven us, that he really is with us, and that eternal life is not something I work for. It's something. I receive as I yield myself each day to him giving him not just the good parts of me but all of me for Jesus isn't interested in this and that part he wants the whole person secondly we see that eternal life is experienced under grace I think this is important for sin will have no dominion over you in verse 16 since you are not under law remember law and gospel is essential Luther said that no theologian uh, can be a theologian unless he can distinguish clearly between law and gospel. And let me just tell you, Christians are not awesome. We, we talk about, you know, oh, Catholics are the ones that try to get saved by works. I, I would argue that Christians, my, at least my experience in the 20 years that I've been a believer, that we are notoriously work focused. We, we may say that we are all about grace and we got saved by grace, but all you have to do is just go to any church and what we find is that we tell people, okay, accept this free gift, You can't save yourself, Jesus has done everything for you. And they say yes to Jesus, and then we get them in the church, and then we say, now stop doing this, stop doing this, stop doing this, and start doing this. And we turn the gospel into something where God has graciously moved to intervene into our broken lives. And now we're like, now you gotta stay there, so start working really hard. And all of a sudden the church becomes a place that exhausts the very people that it was supposed to be offering rest to because that is not how we experience eternal life. Sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law. The law cannot save. The ladders that we create, the moral systems that we put in place to make ourselves feel good about ourselves is not what saves us. Jesus said, away from me I never knew you, to, very, to the people that were doing all kinds of things for him, probably keeping all sorts of laws thinking that if I create, keep true to these parameters that I'm somehow going to be able to prove my savability. I'm, I'm gonna show God that I'm worth saving, I'm savable. No, we can't prove anything, it's by acknowledging that God loves us because it's his nature to love us and grace is his one-way love that moves toward us and says that I am crazy about you even when you're a horrible mess, which you are often. and this beauty is the only thing that motivates us to stay in intimacy our experience of grace grace is something that we are meant to experience each and every day it is the only thing that motivates change in the Christian life our sanctification is directly connected it is it corresponds to a life that lives under grace which means that every day we say yes to God's love. And as we receive his love for us into our lives, it gives us the ability to be conduits of that love. And how do we know that we're receiving grace? One cannot receive grace and not immediately begin to feel the need to share that with those around them. Because the one who understands how sinful they are and what God has saved them from has the ability then to look at the most difficult people with a new lens, the lens of Jesus, which is a lens that says, I have come to seek and save that person. My willingness to stop and push that woman across the street in her wheelchair, uh, that was not been something I would have done before I met Jesus. But Jesus has changed, one thing I constantly pray is, Lord, do not let me ever see anyone with any lens other than the lens of how you see them help me to view all people I don't care if they're the homeless person on the street the junkie I don't care if they're the I don't care if it's the the kid in black bringing destruction to the to the city or the or some some person who's believed a lie and has bought into the idea that uh you know the the I don't care if it's a proud boy I don't care if it's Antifa they're all the same people that are broken and lost that need Jesus and Jesus loves them all the same And the church has done a horrible disservice to the gospel in this last year where we have spent our wheels picking sides as if Jesus is gonna come back a Republican or a Democrat. He says "fooey" to both. He's not interested in our capitalism or China's communism. He is a true dictator. He's the king. And he has the right to define his terms. And those that want to experience freedom must recognize that he is not just our savior. He is our Lord. And lordship means that he deserves our allegiance. And it is as we recognize that we are under grace, a God who graciously moves toward us, even though we often treat people like garbage, he still loves us. He's still gracious. The thing is, is that Jesus, I think sometimes we think he's gonna strike us dead with lightning. But the thing that brings conviction to my life, the thing that makes me repent faster than anything is when I feel like I deserve his judgment the most, he often shows me grace because it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Sometimes I wish he would be angry. Sometimes I wish he would would judge me more harshly. But when he shows me grace, that's the thing that brings me to my knees and says, Lord, I am unworthy. Help me to be a conduit of your love. Under grace means This is the place where we actually experience eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the living God, and Jesus Christ, his son, whom you have sent. What a beautiful passage to remind us. Eternal life is preserved in movement. He says, but thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and have been set free from sin. What does he mean when he says, but you have been set free from a, by obedience that flows from the heart. What is that obedience? Is it they, they have been saved by their works? When Jesus was asked by by the religious leaders what must we do to do the work of God in John chapter 6 I believe it's in verse 29 he says this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent that an obedience from the heart uh, first of all unless there is a new heart there is no such thing as obedience from the heart because the scripture tells us that the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things and not to be trusted but what is the promise of that comes through the prophet Ezekiel, uh, which gives us a a prophetic look forward to what was coming, which is the possibility of regeneration, of being born again, when the prophet Ezekiel says, but I will remove their heart of stone and I will replace it with a heart of flesh. Um, I will put my spirit within them. There is no obedience from the heart unless there is a new heart. And the gospel is not about fixing our old broken heart, it's about heart replacement. It's about getting a new identity, a new reality by which we are in Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The Spirit of God within us gives us the ability to actually enter into the mission of Jesus himself. And that mission is it flows out of a increasing degree of intimacy as we move with Jesus and know Jesus. That's why I said that for me, the thing that I actually care the most about as we are looking at um, kind of filling out the staff as we have a very lean staff and we're thinking about hiring and all of those things. Uh, someone asked me, what is the most important thing for you, Josh, in hiring someone to work at the church? I'm like, honestly, is it, is it a seminary education? Is it, what, what is it? What are the things? What, what, is, what is the most important thing to you? I'm like, I just want to believe that they really love Jesus. That's what I want. Because that will take you farther than anything. Because someone who truly loves Christ naturally has love for others. Someone who's truly in love with Christ, it it can't be a love for Christ that doesn't manifest in a love for people. Uh, Because Jesus lived his life. And that's why Mother Teresa said it best, I see Jesus every day in the face of the very lepers that I take care of. In the people that are broken and hurting because that's where Christ manifests. He manifests himself through, we see Jesus as we actually enter into what he has called us to do. And what Jesus says to us is he says, follow me. Eternal life, if it's intimacy with Christ, means that it is not a static thing. And what I mean by that is there is no static position as a Christian. COVID is not a time of like a pause on our Christian lives. There's only one of two options that are possible for you in this season. You either have grown closer to Jesus or you have drifted from him. There is no other possibility because Jesus is on the move. His mission didn't stop with the with a shutdown and a pandemic he's still in the business of seeking and saving that which is lost and he says follow me which means he's going somewhere which means I love this he says uh, he says having become slaves of righteousness I'm speaking in human terms because of the natural limitations I love that Paul being so kind there because you're dumb I'm gonna give you simple terms, which is still not very simple. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading, notice, it's taking, whether we're giving ourselves to the mastery of sin or to the mastery of Jesus, they're, they're both leading us somewhere. One is a path downward into death, the other is a path, is a path our outward um, movement into the world is actually also our upward movement into Uh, increasing likeness to Jesus. You want to enter into the process of sanctification. It isn't going to be found by going out into the desert and trying to model the desert fathers, getting alone alone with God so you don't have to deal with the sinfulness of humanity and spending some quality time gazing into one's own navel. That is not the path toward Christian maturity. You want to be a person that is transformed into the likeness of the gospel, into the very likeness of the one who has saved you, you enter into his work as a broken vessel, as an unpolished reality, bringing the love of Christ to the world because the one who discovers that they are loved on their worst day is the one who can't stop telling other people about that same love. I love, I was, I'm convinced Luis, I told Luis that I thought that his key to sanctification was that he literally did not leave himself time to enter into carnal activities because there were too many people to save. I'm like, the safest thing that we can be doing is just living our lives with Jesus, for Jesus. Uh, and I think that that is, I was actually in this funny conversation, I, um, John Mark Comer, the pastor of Bridge good friend of mine, I used to work for him, and he asked me on the release of his last book um, uh, on rest, and he's like, "The aluth- it's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, and he was talking about, he asked me to interview him at Powell's for the book release, and um, we were talking about Sabbath, and, and he asked me what my practices were, and I'm like, I don't, I don't think I buy it. He's like, what? What are you talking about? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just like, I don't, I don't, I'm not nothing good happens for me when I like, when I practice Sabbath. I'm like, like Jesus is my Sabbath. I don't like, uh, when I, when I hold still for too long, I just do dumb things and think about dumb things. And I'm, I'm like, I get it. I know what you're saying. It's good. I mean, we live in a crazy hurried age and like, and it's killing us. And I'm like, but I kinda wanna just go hard and just go out young. Like, I wanna, I'm gonna drop dead from an aneurysm at like 52. That's kinda my goal. Like, just live fast for Jesus. Like, and just, I'm just gonna claim Jesus is my Sabbath and we're just gonna call it good. And he's like, yeah, I don't think it works that way. I'm like, hey, each their own. <laughs> Let every man be convinced in his own mind. That's, that's my my claim. But, and that book actually is a really helpful book. But I thought the, the point is, is clear is like, all of us are hardwired differently. The one thing I know is the things that lead me back into the slavery of sin is when it says it's not good that man be alone, I believe that. I'm kind of with Luther. I, I don't trust solitude very much. Uh, I think that that is the devil's playground. Uh, and his desire to get us alone with our thoughts uh, is part of the problem of the churches and and why we've become so impotent when it comes to our ability to be a reflection of the gospel. And I think that this is important for us to understand. When he says, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. Our sanctification comes out of a movement of grace are moving with Christ are following the one who says come to me all you are weary come with me enter into my life follow me and where that leads us is going to be into the difficulties and the brokenness of this world but eternal life which is knowing Christ is what is available to us in the midst of a difficult world finally eternal life is received and always received in surrender. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. Notice that, you were free from, such a play on words, when you were a slave to sin, you were free from righteousness. So you had freedom. It was freedom from what is good and what is right. Um, But what fruit were you getting at that? If you had freedom from righteousness, it meant that the only fruit that you were producing was the fruit of death. But he says, he says, the things of which you are now ashamed. So when you were free from righteousness and a slave to sin, you you were living in a way that you are now ashamed of. So why would you go back to that? Why would you return to that? He says, for the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. In other words, now that you've been set free from the guilt and the shame that comes from sin because sin has been dealt with, you are forgiven all sin, past, present, and future. Because there is no longer any guilt or shame for those that are in Christ, it gives us the courage to be able to continually confess our brokenness because we know we are forgiven and our confession of our sin and our brokenness and our mixture is what keeps us in a position of humility which allows Jesus then to be big in and through us. God can do nothing with a divided heart. He can do so much with a broken heart a heart that breaks over our, our own brokenness, a heart that breaks over the brokenness that we see in others. And here is the, is the picture. It is a surrender. And this is the power. When you think about why AA works, it's, it all is connected, in my opinion, to the first step. Because the first step is the, is the hardest step to take. Because the first step is the recognition that I need help. And I don't know why, but that is the hardest thing to admit. The hardest thing to confess is that I have an actual problem and I can't fix this on my own. To go to an AA meeting is to step into a safe space where you are sitting with people who recognize that the only means by which they can overcome their their addiction, their alcoholism is by is by a radical vulnerability that they're willing to confess that they have a problem and are willing to let other people in to that problem so that they can begin to experience victory over it. The reason AA works is because they their willingness to say, hi, my name's so-and-so, I'm an alcoholic, is not so that they can remain an alcoholic, it's so that they can actually free themselves from its power, by being able to confess that in community, they, they find the power to actually overcome that, to become something that is different because the whole focus of it was written by a Christian, which is to lead them to no longer depending upon alcohol to provide for them what it only, only could provide, which is destruction, instead finding, finding God, ultimately finding Jesus in the gospel. And I think that this is the picture of what eternal life is all. You want to enter into eternal life, it isn't found in you striving in your own effort. It's recognizing that without Jesus, you can do nothing. It's the the picture that Jesus himself said, I am the vine, you are the branches. As As a branch abides in the vine, so you should abide in me. For without me, you can do nothing. But if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit for he will be the one working in and through us in spite of the mixture. It doesn't say anything about the health of the branch. It just talks about what gives the branch life and the source has to be Jesus. And he can use the most messed up, broken vehicle to bring glory, his glory, his name to the world. When we surrender to him, that is where we find our real freedom. And it's the freedom to continue to say yes to God's yes. It's the freedom to continue to enter into God's plan in the midst of a world that is constantly working against it. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. Notice that. This is the goal. Sanctification is the outcome of A daily surrender to Jesus and that's why Paul will go on to say in Romans 12 I beg you brothers and sisters by the mercies of God that you present yourselves as living sacrifices every day we submit surrender is the heart of worship and worship is the eternal occupation of every believer and God's deepest desire for us is to know him the way that he knows us I want to close with this beautiful quote from Karl Bart. he says God wants to be magnified made great in our miserable human lives what does this magnification of God mean it is something simple and yet everlasting something only to be known as a miracle it means namely that in our little existence in the days and years and decades in which our life is given to us in the cares and the problems and the struggles of our life we are called again and again, step by step, to let God be the Lord. What a beautiful statement that speaks to what this is all about. Are we going to give ourselves to the mastery of sin, which is nothingness, or are we going to surrender to God himself, the creator of the universe, and discover intimacy with him now and forever? This is eternal life, and this is the call that has been placed upon us as followers of Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the Gospel. And I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. And my prayer is, Lord, in this time, that you move in us, that you reveal to us the areas in which we have given ourselves over to the flesh, Lord, the human heart is indeed an idol factory. And I pray that as we um, have revealed uh, by your spirit, illuminated those areas where we are still grabbing a hold of control, still grasping at the straws of trying to make meaning out of our lives apart from you. I pray, Lord, that you would um, bring us back to the simplicity of the gospel, that we would Again and again, step by step, let you be the Lord that you are. For your scripture says that whoever confesses with their lips that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead shall be saved. And so we say to you, Jesus, you are Lord. Thank you that we can know you. Thank you that you care to know us and that you are not content to exist without us. We accept your grace and pray that we would be conduits of it today. It's in your name we pray, amen.